Welcome to Real Estate in the 608 Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. I'm Ben Anton. And I'm Adam Elliott. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than you Thanks for waiting. That was the waiting song from In the 608 Musician, Seesaw. And welcome to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's real estate magazine for your ears. Find us now on iTunes. Just ask Siri or Alexa, play Real Estate in the 608. Or you can also find us online at inthe608.com. Or you can find us right here in your ears. <laughs> it's happening right now. Uh, ben, we made it to episode three. Episode uh, three. They have not shut down production yet, so we're going to keep going until they say something. Going to keep going with a podcast that I felt was counter to many of the real estate podcasts available today. Look for a podcast about real estate. There's, there's dozens of them. There is. And every one of them's got a book to sell you, a club to sell you, a membership for. This is true. And they're going to invite their friends on who recently wrote a book that you should buy that one too. But the difference is we're not I, selling you anything here. I, well, I got something for sale. <laughs> you got something for sale. <laughs> Wait a minute. We're not selling anything here. Steve made Steve. Uh, we shouldn't talk about him yet. He's not yep, here. Steve's not here yet. We're not selling anything we're going to learn a little bit, though. Yeah, we um, have a podcast that is certainly localized to the Madison real estate market. We're going to be talking about local things that are happening in the real estate market, but it's not uh, information that is only attuned to the local area because some of the real estate ideas and concepts and tips and tricks that we're going to be talking about can apply to anyone just about anywhere. Exactly. We're going to take a bigger picture look at things, but we're also going to, at times, especially when talking about numbers and prices and things specific to Madison, we're going to zoom in a little bit and have some far more relevant local information. You could say we are thinking local and acting globally in some ways. You could say that. You, you, could. you don't have to, though. <laughs> You are Ben Anton of BenAnton.com, and you are a real estate expert. My name is Adam Elliott. I am a homeowner, and I'm here along for the ride as we go through real estate in the 608. Our in-studio guest today is going to be Steve Pipson with Focus on Energy. We'll talk about what that is uh, coming up in just a little bit. But right now, let's talk about what's going on this week. What's been happening, Ben? Well, this week... The one thing I feel I've grown to the expert level of is snow mm. removal. This <laughs> has been, this last February, it was one of the snowiest that Madison has seen in over uh, 10 years. Yeah, I got to the point where while driving, the snow banks are so high that I pulled out too far not seeing the obvious oncoming traffic. And I'm like, you know what? Okay, these, uh, this is getting to a point where I think it's too much. I'll say uh, what's going on for me this week is, uh, Ben, I don't know if I've mentioned this, but we've certainly talked about Lindsay Lemmers, my significant other. She is uh, one of the candidates who's been running for Madison City Council, or Common Council is the proper title. She cleared her primary election, so like that's is all that's going on in my house these days. She's well, running congratulations. in Congratulations. Thank you very much. That's what's going on this week. Let's uh, talk about From the Headlines. From the headlines, we talked a little bit in uh, in former episode about uh, the sale of a favorite tavern. Uh, so I thought I'd uh, highlight a few businesses that are for sale. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. Now these businesses do not include real estate. So this is this is buying a franchise or buying the the privilege of operating the business by a certain name. What's on the plate here? Emilio's three hundred fifty thousand dollars. One Emilio's is three hundred fifty. One Emilio's. This particular Emilio's. There is a two for deal. Where you can have two for five hundred. Does it come with chips and soda too? It's go, I'd go for a cookie and a, and a bowl of soup. <laughs> would be my my preferred combo. But sure, Emilio's over on Johnson at three, uh, right by East High School. Three hundred fifty thousand uh-huh, yeah. dollars is going to get you in there to an established sandwich shop. And mm-hmm. that, and you know, you think about a bar with real estate, and then a, an established sandwich shop without real estate. Those are probably doing similar revenue, is my mm-hmm. guess. If you'd kind of parcel out the value of the real estate over on Highway 30 there at Brothers 3, you might end up with a $350,000 valuation to the, the business and good name. Right. That's one of the things we talked about. When it's a food or a service or a restaurant, you're kind of like buying the good name and the value of what's going on Exactly. In that the the yeah. ability of that machine, that already established machine, to turn your investment into an annual return. We <laughs> joke, too, about the interior design of some family restaurants. Oh, sure. Yeah. How uh, much does one of those cost, Adam? That's a, that's a great question. I mean, the family restaurants that are around, that's the place you go for a Sunday morning breakfast where you're not going 
going to spend more than $10 on your plate, or which like is kind of nice. Chicken dumpling soup? Chicken is that, dumplings, yeah. That's, all, that's always there. Yeah. And the gyro, which is... <laughs> <laughs> that may be that may be more of a Midwestern or Madison or Milwaukee thing, but the, often the family restaurant, in my experience, has had some kind of like a a Greek influence. A Greek to influence, the menu. yeah. I mean, it's it's nice that we still have several of these in the Madison area. So I hope you're telling me that one of them isn't going away, right? Well, I don't think it, at this price, one hundred twenty thousand dollars, one could purchase the business of Ellie's Family Restaurant at the Lake Edge Shopping Center. Ellie's, right? Yeah, they've been there so, for a little while now. Got a little change in your pocket? You want to start a family restaurant? Boom, up and going already. Okay, you get the space, you get the kitchen, you get usually you're going to get the business as well as all the equipment. Every Thing that's in so there. they're going to yeah. walk into a restaurant that you could you could operate from day one. And if I'm not mistaken, Ellie's has been like under a couple different names, and that that unique interior furniture <laughs> that they have in there is will remain. I'm guessing as well as the pie case. I think is the one thing the I remember pie there. Case. <laughs> but uh, but let's also we're also just going to touch quick then on real estate. Yeah, it is real estate in the 608 after all. Madison area most expensive sale. Of the last 30 days or so, mm-hmm. again on Farwell Drive. Same as last time, right? It's just down the street from okay. our most expensive sale from last episode. All right. What did they get? $1.5 million. $1.5 for what size and what, what was included in that? Just a little bit smaller than our previous listing, probably mm-hmm. about 4,500 square feet. But to be honest, I'm liking this house at $1.5 million a lot better than the one that went for $1.7. It was just, it was a lot nicer for me. Beautiful view of the lake. Lots, beautiful, well lit, modern space. Felt I would have felt a hundred times better about this house, even at one point seven, relative to the other one that I that I joked and said it's, I felt like it was an Olive Garden. <laughs> right. So uh, Farwell, that's the, the Lake Mendota you're looking at. Pretty over, much, right? yeah. Maple yeah. Bluff ran yeah. the lake. Okay. And listed last May. So it took a little bit of time. Listed at one point nine again, just like the other. Saw some price reduction over over the over the winter months. Um, it stuttered a little bit at the end. It went, it went to an, uh, it received an offer. Mm-hmm. Then it came back for sale. That's never good. If you got an offer and it doesn't go, work out, you're never going to get that price again. Why isn't that good? Because it's just the cost, right? It you usually know? means something went wrong. Okay. And whether that was something as it relates to the house or something as it relates to the buyer of the house, we're never going to know. But something went wrong. It's kind of a black eye on a property. If it gets an offer goes off market, and then all of a sudden pops up a little bit later, it's going to be difficult to erase that stigma. So that begs a question, at least in my head, that is there a threshold where like something might sit on the market longer? I think we've known that things are turning over pretty fast in Madison right now. If this one took that long, is there like a number where that stops happening as fast? I think $350,000 might be that number. That's in some neighborhoods, it's higher. Mm-hmm. But if we're there's such a pressure on first time on the first time buyer market, which oddly enough, for some people goes up to three hundred fifty thousand uh, dollars. But once we start to get over that number, there's a little bit less pressure, and a chance of something taking a little bit longer to sale is uh, is, is is likely. All right, so one point five mil for a place over in Farwell. What was the least expensive at eighteen fourteen Northwestern? One hundred thirty seven thousand dollars. Okay, that seems. I mean, in my head, that's that's like what a reasonable house costs nowadays. But I know I'm also, you know, I'm not too too much on the inside of these. This house had like some that. needs. Had like, mm-hmm. in my opinion, had likely been part of someone's rental stable for quite some time. Okay, and a buyer of one hundred thirty seven thousand dollars cash. Likely going to be putting some money into it and flipping it. That's just my guess. The cash again. Is it the house flippers that have the cash that are able to just walk in with and say like, boom, there's the money. I'll take this place. I think money has become more available, but at the same time, someone like this, they could just have a really nice house on the on the west side and a decent home equity line where they're going to go out and flip a house using a line of credit. Um, that would appear or that would uh, at sale appear as a cash offer. Um, ballpark, you get a house for $137,000. How much are you going to invest into that? And how much do you think you could make uh, if once you do flip that? Well, I looked at a house on Superior that came up the other day at $265,000. And I thought to myself, my goodness, that is an expensive house mm-hmm. for Superior. And uh, it is also right up against the railroad tracks there between Sherman and, uh, and I said to my buyers, I said, I think that might be the most expensive house to have sold on Superior. And um, 
and I was off by one house. There was one other house that had sold for for more than that. Mm-hmm. And uh, so you don't want to spend too much based on your 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 peers and the houses around you. So if you're going to pay one hundred thirty seven thousand on a house on Northwestern, it would be great if you could put in only forty. So bring so it you're up at to like about one eighty, and then maybe yeah. make another forty. Get that two dollar for dollar return. So you're going to sell it for about two twenty, two and a quarter ish. Okay. If it's nice, I think that that would be both a good profit, but also a decent house in that area. So it sounds like the key to that puzzle is figuring out what the other properties in that area cost. Exactly. Right. And knowing okay. that they are both going to uh, bolster your value, but in some cases, limit it as well. Very interesting. All right, that's from the headlines. Our in-studio guest is Steve Pipson with Focus on Energy. He'll be talking ways you can make your home more energy efficient, and we'll talk to him in just a minute. She ain't wrong, but she ain't bad. It's time for the top of the hour tip brought to us today by Lauer Realty Group at 2229 Atwood Avenue and online at LauerRealtyGroup.com. In with today's top of the hour tip is Lauer Realty Group broker associate, Rachel Whaley. Hi, I'm here to talk to you today about pre-approval and the importance of it during your home buying experience. If you're considering buying, it's best to meet with a lender early and have that pre-approval letter ready before you shop. It's important because you want to know where you're comfortable at financially so that you're not looking at houses that are maybe outside of your comfort zone. You really want to have that pre-approval letter ready before you start looking at houses so that if you happen to find that one right away, that you're just ready to jump on it. How important, Rachel, is a property-specific pre-approval letter? It is important, but if you don't have time to get the lender to have that the address on the loan for you, that's okay, but it, it does make it more appealing to the sellers. What about including your maximum purchase price on the pre-approval letter? If you're writing a low offer, you may not want to show them that you're approved for a lot more because then the seller is going to be like, well, you can afford more. I'm just going to counter you higher. But if you're writing your highest and best offer and you've gone over asking and and you have a letter that says your max price, I feel like that's okay if that's the only letter you have and you haven't had time to get that property specific letter. Welcome back to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for years. Hey, thank you for listening. Uh, you can also find us at inthe608.com and in the 608 on Facebook as well. It's time to meet our guest, Steve Pipson from Focus on Energy. Probably one of our more credentialed guests and someone we could certainly refer to as an expert. How so? Well, Steve is a building analyst certified through the Building Performance Institute and is a licensed Wisconsin home inspector. Having worked as a journeyman carpenter, construction project manager, architectural technician, and technical college instructor, he brings over 30 years of residential building experience to his role at Focus on Energy as an outreach and technical advisor for home performance with Energy Star. Steve is passionate about helping homeowners make improvements to their homes that ultimately improve the comfort and safety while decreasing utility costs. (laughs) So I ask myself, Adam, Mm -hmm. is he fun? I think we should find out. We know how much fun he is by playing a game we call The Way It Used to Be. There used to be, there used to be, there used to be, there used to be nothing but smiling faces far as the eye could see. Car in every driveway, swinging every tree. People can't stop talking about the way things used to be. The way it used to be is a get-to-know-you game about history in Madison, places in Madison, things from Madison. Are you ready, Steve? I'm ready. I'll just say, though, I'm not from Madison. Uh, and, and people may, may wonder a little bit about where you're from when they hear that peculiar accent. <laughs> well, I've lived here longer than I've lived anywhere else, so maybe I am now from Madison. Then you're from Madison, and uh, we I didn't I didn't get approval from the tower, but I'm going to mention your wife and say that she works in the schools. She does indeed. She is a librarian at Lowell. And our first oh, question is a school-related question. Uh, often the names of schools and their origin stories tell us a lot about the town. So Lapham School is named for a naturalist, environmental, and environmentalist. Can you tell me Mr. Lapham's first name? 
I know it's not a common name, and I've heard it before. It's, oh my gosh, it's one of those old Ichabod or something of that nature. Is I'll, I'll give you, you're on the right letter, yeah. and you're on the, it's, it's starts with an I, I know might that. Might be a verb. Increase, lap Increase, em. yes, I knew it was Increase. an I. <laughs> you have In- not heard that name for over 100 years. No, when naming, <laughs> when naming our children, we looked for p- names that had not been popular for a while. And, Increase and we- came up on the list. <laughs> <laughs> Increase. Increase was not on the list. We ended up with an Evelyn and a Lola, and we missed a boat on Lola because everybody and their dog is named Lola. <laughs> Everyone got the same so, memo on the Lola. We're not going to hear the bell ring on that one. Also, because the bell is over there, can you hand it to me, Steve? <laughs> well, that's funny. I think now that we named Increase, that's going to be one of those things that's going to show up on the list of right. top children's yeah, names next be year. <laughs> influencers. And, and now, now that you've handed me the bell, there's a better chance you might. I could ring the bell a few times in this next question. It's okay. a multi-part question. A little bit about where you're from too, because you'll want to correct me. But if Foster's is Australian for beer. Name both the beer that made Milwaukee famous and the shuttered brewery turned condo project turned new craft brewery in Madison, Wisconsin. That was uh, Pabst, was it? Sorry. No. I'm not going to hear no. the bell on that okay. one. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I think that's right. <laughs> uh, it's, it's Schlitz. 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 All right. Made well, those, the beer that made Milwaukee famous. So, several of them over there. All right. So. Part two. There's a couple. We're I worked give, on the Pabst Brewery. We're going to give you a so. chance to name a few more beers here. But, <laughs> all right. Okay. Thinking about Madison then, what shuttered brewery turned Fowerback. condo. Okay. Fowerback. Oh, my gosh. Fowerback. Right on. Fowerback. Well, yeah. So shuttered brewery turned condo project, Fowerback Condos. Turn new craft brewery in Madison, Wisconsin. That is correct. Fauerbach. Well done. You get the bell rung. Do I get you. an extra like ding for the the speed on that one? It's like then, it's uh, like uh, ringing in before Alex Trebek finishes the question on Jeopardy. <laughs> man, well done. Click it, click, 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 click. Um, so Milwaukee. This is Milwaukee. So this is a real estate in the what I would call four one four. Many would call two six two. Name the beer that was established in Milwaukee in 1851. 1850. Because it's the slogan that they put on the bottle. Mm-hmm. Oh, would it be it Miller? Established in Milwaukee. That's where my head went right away, too. But Miller? No, right, Ben? No. It's, no. Another, it's another beer with a Z at the end. It's the Blatz Brewery. Blatz. Established in Milwaukee, 1851. One more. Could have given me a hint like there's a big sign hanging over the Ohio or something <laughs> like oh, that. Oh, sure. Well, you'll, and when you walk <laughs> home, you'll see there. Established. <laughs> and one more beer with ending in Z. Name the fictional brewery featured in TV sitcom Laverne and Shirley. You know what? I have to admit, I never ever watched that. Was so. that? Did they not have that in New Zealand? They did, but I never watched it. It never held any interest to me. So All right. it's a shots brewery. The shots, yeah. So shots, shots, Schlitz and Blacks. Right. We've got one more question. That one is more a little, question. A okay. little bit more. What indoor air quality company was established in and still operates from Madison's Near East Side, beginning operations in 1938 and in 1954, developed the first whole home humidifier? That would be Renew Air or Comfort Air. Um, we'll, need, we'll need one final They're right beside the... Um, the new park over there. I am. Oh, it's a re- research product. Research products. Is that right? Oh, there you well go. Done. And oh. they make all those brands that I just listed. They right. make, I'm sure they do. <laughs> and the, and uh, April Air. April Air is probably Air. the yeah. uh, the name that most are familiar with, as it is the residential home humidifier. Well, that was the game the way it used to be. Steve, you got the bell rang two or three times, but I asked a lot of questions, so you won't be taking And you the... ventured outside of the 608. I did I did venture a little bit, but thank you. So we're going to talk a little bit about the way it used to be, but also about, about the way it used to be for you. In, in the beginning, for Steve Pipson. Tell us about, where, where was your first house? In Where was your first Madison house? My first Madison home, and which was my first home. So the first home I purchased was in Madison, and it was uh, on Gilson Street on the near south side. One mm-hmm. might call that the Bay Creek neighborhood. The Bay, Bay Creek, Creek neighborhood, mm-hmm. correct. Gilson Street, also home of Madison Taxi. Yep, and the uh, swimming pools, like Goodman Pools, like right across. Just a couple. Oh, sure, yep. right. Once yep. you said swimming pools, I thought you were going to say swimming pools and movie stars. <laughs> D- didn't see any movie stars. Well, there might have been some local ones there who I didn't recognize. So what what stage in life? Where what was that? Uh, what was that purchase for you? Where, where how how old were you? What stage in life were you? What what kind of decisions uh, I, led I, I up to buying say, that first house? I can't say exactly what age I was, but I was thirties. 
So mm-hmm. we're in that decade of the 30s, and it was the first home purchased after getting married. So what was it that what what got you what what caught your eye on this house? Um, I think it was a price point, uh, proximity to the uh, university, because mm-hmm. uh, at that point my. Uh, Wife was going to the um, university, so as a student, and then um, it was a duplex. All right, is that something that you sought out that you wanted to wanted to live in, in? You know, I don't think we sought that out, but it was something that sort of came to. We figured out that would be worth our while because of the having someone pay half the mortgage for us. Sure, sounds you, like a good idea, right? <laughs> just by chance, it seemed like a no-brainer at the time. Yeah. <laughs> I mentioned this there by chance. Our first three guests yeah. on real estate in the six hundred eight. This was not, this was unplanned, but all three of our guests thus far, their first home was a two flat where they where they were an owner occupant. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. We talked a little bit about some of the other podcasts where they were on to sell you a book. Um, one of them coined a term called a house hack, and I think that is probably public use now. But a, a house hack is is someone who would who would uh, owner occupy a multi unit and use that extra income to make uh, either it more affordable or more efficient, or to live in a neighborhood that they didn't necessarily feel they could afford. Maybe one that's adjacent to the university. It was yeah, it, it made it certainly made it affordable. And I must say that uh, since that point, I have only ever lived in duplexes. You you're, you're very uh, credentialed. You had a lot of uh, a lot of acronyms after your name, or things that could likely be turned into acronyms. What kind of uh, when you bought that first duplex? Did, how, how many acronyms did you have behind your name then? Uh, very few. I was only a carpenter at that point. So you've so, been a carpenter. You mm-hmm. bought a place. Was it one that had needs? It did have uh, quite a few needs, yes. And uh, they were met by me, personally, working um, after I got home from work as a carpenter, coming home to um, work as a carpenter. (laughs) One of the things I'd like to talk about is the affordability-efficiency balance. As a first-time home buyer, maybe let's imagine we're talking to them today. They're not a carpenter, but they bought a house that's like decent. You're going to look at that house and you're going to see all kinds of opportunities. Why should they think about making some energy efficiency updates versus taking that same amount of money and maybe doing some things that are a little bit more sexy or that they're going to feel better about at the end of the day because they're glistening and their backsplash is really Mm -hmm. fun and nice? Well, insulation is sexy. (laughs) <laughs> That's the first thing I'll say there. I'm going to stick up for insulation. Um, here, here's the deal with insulation as an improvement, and and not just insulation, but energy efficiency improvements, is that they start paying for themselves the moment they're installed. So if you are lacking insulation in your attic, or you're lacking it in the walls or the sill boxes, as soon as it is as it is installed, it will start paying for itself. The granite countertops don't pay for themselves. You may get a return on your investment when you go to resale the house, and you also, of course, get some enjoyment of having those granite Mm -hmm. countertops, but they don't pay for themselves. Where insulation has a payback because you're reducing your energy costs. That insulation is paying for itself. So how would you know if you have enough? For the attic, it's somewhat easy to obviously poke your head in the attic if Mm -hmm. you have access to it. Um, and check to see if you have enough. And there's some um, online guidance as to exactly what is considered enough mm-hmm. for this part of the country. Um, generally, we're shooting for you know, 12 inches if we can. Um, otherwise, like in the walls, you probably want to have someone come in and actually do a what they call an energy assessment, mm-hmm. which is uh, there is an upfront cost to that, and it's usually um, it's usually somewhere between three to four hundred dollars. And that's going to be not focused on energy, but a, you just hiring somebody out. And insulated right. is uh, the same contractor that would sell you the solution to a problem is going to help you determine how big of a problem you may have. Potentially, that you can also hire a, what we call a consultant, which is someone who is just independently looking at your home for you, Mr. or Mrs. Homeowner. And, and I must say that focus on energy, if folks are not aware of who we are, the organization I work for, we are a statewide energy efficiency program. So we work with the utilities in the state to provide uh, education incentives and information for um, any utility payers. So that could be anything from a large industrial plant all the way down to uh, discounting light bulbs at a store. So even for, like for renters and such like that, someone can take advantage of it. We don't actually have anyone who goes out into the field except when you get up into the large industrial stuff. 
but otherwise we don't have anyone who's going out to actually do any work for utility customers. And then we have some carrots. So we say, okay, if you install insulation and it meets this criteria, you will get this carrot. So we have is, some is carrots it, available. Is it a bundle of carrots, or what, what, what yeah, kind of carrots are we talking about? It's a pretty sizable. If you if you can actually <laughs> achieve some pretty good energy reduction, you can actually get a, a fairly a couple of bags of carrots. Hi. I'm Adam Elliott. He's been Anton. Our in-studio guest today is Steve Pipson with Focus on Energy. You work with the energy utilities in Wisconsin. So Correct. I, I, wa- I want to be fair about this, too, as we're describing this. The thing that's rattling around in my head is like, okay, the energy utilities make money when I send in my bill and I pay for the servers that they're providing. You work with them to give me information about how I can save money. I don't quite make the connection in my head. Isn't it in the utility's interest to make more money off of me. You are correct. It is the yeah. utility's interest to make money because they're for-profit entities. Right. Uh, for the most part, there are some co-ops around the state as well mm-hmm. and munis, so they're run by the municipal governments. Back in 2001, the state had mandated to the utilities that you have to start saving energy. Mm-hmm. We don't have endless amounts of it. So at some point, we've got to start putting like a little bit of like, a, not a, so much a cap on it, but we've got to start to sort of like you know, start to flatten out that line. We can't just keep going straight up. So in a a way of doing that is by putting money into energy efficiency programs. So if they can start to save on the end user, that means that the utilities are starting to sort of get control of how much energy is actually being used. That actually then helps smooth things out because the other thing too that they've got going on is, especially on the electric side, not so much on the natural gas side, but the electric side especially is they have peaks, Sure. And that really costs them a lot of money. Okay. When they get those big peaks, like in the middle of summer, when they got everyone's switching on their AC unit or turning on the ceiling fans or whatever, the, however they're trying to keep cool, that peaks. And that costs them a lot of money because they may have a generation facility that they have shut down and then they have to start it up just because they, for that purpose. They need to be okay. able mm-hmm. to provide that peak amount at the drop of a hat so they're going to there's a lot of inefficiency. Well, that's I one suppose. of the agreements with a utility is they have to provide when it's demanded. That's the agreement that we've that's, got signed up with right. the utility whether they're for profit or not, right? Make sure it's they there. need to demand when it is demanded. I mean, you can have uh, cases like in I'm sort of getting stepping very far out of the 608 but down in Australia where they couldn't. It was demanded and it wasn't there. They had brownouts. Oh boy. So then if you start to like put the energy efficiency in play, then you start to sort of like get control of how much is being demanded. Mm-hmm. So then if you also too, don't don't remember, don't forget, sorry, we're also adding more people to like Madison and such. Mm-hmm. It's growing. That means there's more demand. So there's demands going up by new customers coming online. So the way Focus works yeah. is that uh, a small percentage of, you, of your utility bill, and it's not even, I think, line itemed, goes into our program. And then that uh, is that money is then made available to, to utility customers to make those energy efficiency improvements. And so all of the utilities are putting pooling all of those resources together. Mm-hmm. Prior to 2001 and Focus on Energy coming about, they used to do it all on their own. They had their own programs running. The state decided that they'll pull it all together and have one group, and it's also under the auspices of the uh, PSC. So the PSC has some oversight. Public Service, Public Service Commission. Commission. Thank you. So they have some oversight. So they can just make sure that we're managing that money in a good manner. Uh, but we go under the direction of the utility, so they tell us which direction we should take. They So they do some analysis of our programs and make sure that we're actually getting a return on our invest, on their investment uh, for the energy efficiency, so the savings. When we are talking about energy efficiency, we mentioned insulation. Is that the, mm-hmm. is that the first one you should look at? The, lowest, the about, lowest hanging fruit. Yeah, the right. lowest hanging fruit would be like those uh, light bulbs. Anything electrical is usually the lowest hanging fruit. Okay. Um, from our program, we actually offer uh, discounted light bulbs at the store, so you can walk into the store and see our sticker right on the shelf, and it will that light light bulb will be discounted by our program. You don't have to send any paperwork in; mm-hmm. it's already done. Second way of going about it would be uh, go to our website, and you can look under residential free products. We have boxes available full of light bulbs, shower heads, power strips. So energy-saving goodies, and those are available for all utility customers, like electric utility customers. Did you say free? Free. And you just go to uh, the website, which Focus is... Focusonenergy.com. 
Free it, stuff. Yeah, ring, <laughs> ring the bell. Where's I'm the not bell? selling <laughs> anything today. I'm giving things away. So, um, so that you can go and get one of those boxes. They're free. Uh, they you put in your electric utility account number, your address. They'll send you choose the boxes, six different boxes. They got different configurations of what's in the box. One thing I was going to ask you: the, the incandescence you don't find anymore nope. um, for lights. It was fluorescence. Then everybody was hopping on oh, fluorescence. The, the curly bulbs. The, curl, people, the curly yeah. bulbs. Yep. And now we see a lot of LED. Uh, that's technology. all you'll see. That's all you see is LED. Yeah, I don't think there's even fluorescence available any longer, except for the long tubes. And, and why is it LEDs now? Well, LEDs are, one, they're not as uh, big a concern for the environment. Uh, the curly bulbs, as uh, mm-hmm. we refer to them, the fluorescents, actually have mercury in them. And mm-hmm. that's as, as it relates to disposal. Correct. So, so you don't, after, after yep. you're done with them, they may have been efficient while they were in use, but now all of a sudden you have this potential hazard in your hands and nothing. And through our program, anywhere that we have discounted light bulbs, you'll find that there's a recycling station at that store. So they'll have a box okay. or some sort of a bin available for you to put your light bulbs into. That's where I get caught because I know I've got a couple that have burnt out and they're sitting in my closet and I'm like, where do I... I know I don't throw these things away. I got to take them somewhere. Yep. But like, um, what do I do? Yep. Generally, like uh, if you're close by Ace Hardware on Willie Street, they have a, gotcha. a, a means of recycling them there. And I think they now put a small surcharge on the lo- on the fluorescent tubes, like the the four footers. Yeah, and I think the uh, Menards or a Home Depot may take them. And I think Menards has a limit of how many okay. you might drop at once. But I believe you just take them to the the. Um, customer service counter and, and they'll take they have a bin you. actually at home depot just inside the door they actually got a bin orange of course i walk around all day all night i walk around what here's is i've got in my notes here are some of the other super easy updates i think it's super easy to put in a thermostat it's not that hard it's not that hard Tell us a little bit about the the value of a smart thermostat and what what your program has. Uh, well, has interestingly, done to I'm hoping that most of the folks that. listening have do not have mercury thermos style thermostats. That's those old gold ones that you used to just dial them up and down. Hopefully, most oh, of those the are, round dial. On yeah, them. hopefully okay. most of those are gone. And, and a lot of folks have the programmables, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which has a study done uh, several years back found that 80 percent of them weren't programmed after because installation. They were, because they were too difficult. They're a, yeah, they're a royal pain to actually get programmed. And, and now we have smart thermostats, which are a Wi-Fi-enabled thermostat. So you have to have Wi-Fi to, in order for it. And it would work without it, but you wouldn't get all the benefits. And our program has a, a, an incentive for that. So we will give you $75 if you install it. You can install it yourself. You don't need a professional. You can uh, purchase it anywhere. So it could be at a local uh, hardware store or it could be online somewhere. So you provide proof of purchase and you see an incentive that, as to my understanding, might even half your investment there. Correct. So I saw one recently at a uh, rather large warehouse-style store um, that had uh, a certain brand available with two remote sensors that came with it, so Mm -hmm. temperature sensors. So you could actually put your thermostat on the first floor and then on the second floor you can put a sensor and one in the basement if it's a habitable space in the basement and then the thermostat gets the understanding of where the temperature is around the oh, house yeah yeah they had that down to 150 bucks you get out 75 dollar incentive that reduces it down to like 75 so that's a nice one that in, you're in a year they pay back about 100 bucks that's a nice one okay that's a great return like that's a good <clears throat> that's a good translation right yep. there. It's like about 100 bucks is what you're going to get back in a year so maybe the cost of the thing is is worth it immediately. Is there any difference between the one that cost $80 to the one that cost $150 other than the sensors? I mean, we t- it's it's bells and whistles. It is. If electrical is the is the lowest hanging fruit, how far up the how far up that tree need I reach to before I'm going to be told that I really need a new furnace? That furnace is just well, you know, on the electrical side, you're looking at anything on the like from a light bulb, which is obviously the easiest thing to change, um, through to your appliances, mm-hmm. refrigerator, dishwasher, washer dryer, that sort of thing. Um, and of course, going for Energy Star models will help keep that down. And then there's also the usage part. So there's not just the actual appliance, that's how often are you using it. With the refrigerator, obviously, it's plugged in 24 7. You don't get to unplug it for like a day or two sort of a thing. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, dehumidifiers are one that, yes, you need to be keeping track of that and making sure it's Energy Star. 
getting to the furnace, you're probably looking at usually an age of furnace uh, where we start to look at saying it's getting beyond its lifespan is 20 years. Okay, so, so if I if I buy a house and it's got that <coughs> 10 to 15-year-old furnace, I don't necessarily need... And there may even be an, what I often see, an energy guide sticker. Mm-hmm. If it, That tells me it's of the modern era. Correct. And that, and I don't necessarily need to think that that's the first. That's not the first thing I need to do if I want to be responsible with my energy use. Right. So a well-serviced furnace will last you somewhere between twenty to thirty years. Mm-hmm. So if you're keeping it serviced, which I would recommend is probably the best investment any homeowner can do- make, is servicing their furnace annually, every fall. Or every spring, whatever it is, just do it annually. Doesn't matter. And what, um, and what does that do when you service? So it? it's basically it's, it's preventative maintenance. Mm-hmm. It's like us going to the doctor for a checkup on an annual basis. We're not necessarily going to actually have anything specific checked. We're just going to go make sure that we're healthy. Mm-hmm. And of course, I put the air quotations there. Technicians can start to see if something's got a little wobble in it, or something's got a bad. Uh, the the furnace fan is not actually like moving correctly or not reacting when it should. They can also then look in at the burner area and see if the burners are burning clean and tu- tune them a little bit if they're not quite burning clean, if you're not getting a flame that's uh, considered a clean burn and such like that. They can then start to say to you, okay, this is looking like it's starting to age out. Okay, I think you should plan for a replacement within the next X amount of time. talked briefly or I mentioned my my status as a as a focus on energy ambassador yes you're this one of a, the first to be this qualified is a new program. that was one exciting of, one of the first how, how many how many are there how many of you qualified we, we, thus so we're, far? we're getting close to 50 now all right 50 real estate agents in the entire state uh, no just in the Madison area just in the Madison we, we, area. this is a pilot right now so all we right. just started in pilot Dane, program Dane, Dane County I am one of the few the proud ambassadors um when someone would work with me, I can gift them upon closing one of these these furnace clean and tune a clean a clean and check or the you know it's funny you mentioned that you're in your uh, in your toolbox or your credentials you're a, a home inspector correct although I've are never you, inspected you are, a home you were licensed you were a licensed <laughs> home inspector um, usually I say to my buyers now the home inspector is going to tell you to get that inspected every year. Um, I, I don't know that I feel that's, um, feel that's as, as wise as the home inspector would suggest, but Hey, you know what? Buy a house with me. You're going to get the first one free or almost free, uh, $125 voucher towards something that usually costs about that much. Correct. Yep. And if it doesn't cost that much, you'll get reimbursed up to the amount that it did cost. Right. So. so so that's that's one of the things that Focus on Energy is doing. We'll ring the bell again. That's all, That's free. <laughs> it's the free bell. Uh, but through that ambassador program and, and working with someone who has that that title, um, you'll get that that first check, that that clean and check on your furnace, that that, that little uh, little educational guided tour through your heating plant. There's a couple of other things that we hope that comes out of the that as well. There's a relationship developed with an HVAC contractor. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there's that first, especially if you're a first time homeowner. There's that nervousness about like contractors, and if uh, you can go through our website and find a trade ally working with our um, our program, and they can be your contractor. And if you don't like them, then you've obviously checked the you know those yeah, guys. Yeah, you had and, an op- opportunity to work with them right. at, at little cost or obligation to you. Uh, maybe it's somebody that you think is going to be great when you need them in a hurry, or maybe you think you know I'll call that other guy. Right. So that you know you develop that relationship and and start to get a better understanding of where your furnace is at because they're going to really tell you a home inspector. uh, They do a great job, but they're not experts on furnaces. So they know how to inspect a furnace, and there's a bare minimum of what they're supposed to be checking on it, but they're not furnace experts. And especially Mm -hmm. as you get into the newer age of furnace, the higher efficiency furnaces, there's a lot more electronics involved. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So, and then the home inspectors are not, again, are not experts in like looking at all that electronics and making sure that it's all in place and and working correctly. Not experts is, is (laughs) is a perfect segue into the market update.
Mark Gladue from Lauer Realty joining us. The Mark Get Update is a service of BenAnton.com's 22nd, 22nd Read, a podcast for your eyes. A newsletter delivered on the 22nd of each month written in easy-to-digest segments taking no longer than 20 seconds to read. You can sign up for it at Real Estate in the 608 on Facebook. Thanks, Ben. Here's what we're going to talk about is the fact that we're going to see a huge uptick in listings probably towards the end of this month. The reason being that we have a lot of people who are on the academic calendar. And because they're on the academic calendar, they're going to start looking now knowing that it could take up to three to five months to find their new home. And once they do find their new home, they're about 60 days away from closing. So we'll see a small downturn in the market right when the spring break hits for the University of Wisconsin-Madison, Madison School Districts, Monona School Districts, and, you know, some of the other ones around town. But then as soon as those are over, we'll see all of those people come back into town and be ready to list their homes. The market update this month is buyers, get ready. Sellers, beware. It's going to be a good time. Welcome back. You're listening to Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears. My name is Adam Elliott, and Ben Anton is just to my right. We are speaking with our in-studio guest, Steve Pipson of Focus on Energy. Steve, thanks for being here today. Oh, you're welcome. It is much, much appreciated. Uh, You are an expert in many ways in the things that we're talking about today, energy savings is efficiency. We also have an email address that you are welcome to uh, email to if you have questions for an expert that we'd be glad to answer. Yeah, you can... uh... Uh, email your questions to expert at inthe608.com. Those can be questions for someone you have already heard or questions for someone you would like to hear. Yeah. Uh, on the docket, we've got some people. Uh, we're going to talk about kitchen remodels. We're going to talk about lending and financing. You could help steer some of our future guests by asking questions via email, expert at inthe608.com. All right. Back to speaking with Steve. I wanted to talk about solar energy. Got it. Solar panels have such great optics. I love the idea of them. A while ago, I was in a house that had solar energy, and I saw the little thing that was sending energy up to MG&E, and it was not being charged to me. And I was like, that is what I love to see, and I want to do more of that. But there's the hurdle. Every, I, th- I think it's sitting out there like solar is going to cost me a lot to do up front. What, tell me your experiences right. with solar. So, you know, what I would recommend with um, solar is that the, you, you want to make your home as efficient as possible first. Mm-hmm. So you want to go through that low-hanging fruit and then work your way up through the insulation, making the house as efficient as possible with the most efficient equipment. Then, after that, the next step in the road would be to go to solar and become a little bit more efficient or independent. I went down that road myself. My home got to a certain efficiency. I'm not quite all the way there yet, but I'm getting close. (laughs) And then I decided to go with solar because there's a very good uh, federal tax credit right now, Mm -hmm. uh, which is going, starting to sunset out at the end of this year, 2019. Seeing that meter spin the opposite direction Mm -hmm. for the first time after everything's plugged in is like, like, it's a fantastic experience. (laughs) Like... Yeah. <laughs> you know, I put panels on my roof. You know, again, another thing you need to look at is your, your roof age. If you have, you know, a roof that's at the end of its lifespan, that needs to be done to first before the panels can go on. <laughs> you don't want to put the panels on and then have to change the roof. So and, that, that, and that's because it costs a lot of money to install and then remove and then reinstall. Oh, sure. You so don't want to do that. you're going to add some cost to your eventual re-roofing. Mm-hmm. Okay. Personally, if you can get them off the roof and somewhere else, if you have a large enough lot or property to put them somewhere else, like, um, you know, if you want to build it like a gazebo or something like that, and put them over the top of the gazebo as a shade sort of structure, way better. So, you know, if you wanted to sort of step back into the cost of it all, generally I would say it's about, uh, they're close to about $12,000 to get mm-hmm. the average home set up. Um, and then from that, you could probably be out of pocket about seven by the time you get the incentive from our program. Federal tax credits are 30%. Uh, of the project cost as a direct credit on your personal income taxes. Always check with your financial advisor or tax preparer. Yes, we are not before. attorneys. We are not. I tax would say preparers. that that is guaranteed. 
the, the lawyers have spoken. Thank right. you. You've done, you've done your due diligence. Thank you. <laughs> uh, but that, you know, but otherwise, you know, you could be, you know, if you have that uh, possibility of, uh, and there's other ways of getting this, uh, something put on your roof. There's some um, Madison program, Madison, I think it's called, mm-hmm. uh, which is sort of like a group buy. So there's other ways and means of doing that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you are, uh, you cannot produce more than you consume in an, on an annual basis. And uh, is that just like a rule or is that that like, is, a rule. is that a science that is a rule um, <laughs> that is in place right now that could potentially change in the future. But okay. right now you cannot produce more than you consume. So my panels for my roof was set up to produce only 93 percent. OK, so well, there's a lot of it. There's a lot of interesting arguments as it relates to solar and the ability of the homeowner to produce electricity. Mm-hmm. Um, the, uh, the environmentalist would like to see uh, higher rates as they relate to use so that there's a real economic advantage for people to use less electricity. Mm-hmm. So it's, you know, that... Um, but at the same time, the utility spends a lot more money on infrastructure and distribution than they do on getting or on, on, on the actual energy itself. So, and don't forget the generation part. The generation, and, and this this could be a whole other podcast. Um, but likely that rule that you're not allowed to sell back because you're selling it to them at the same rate you'd be buying it, correct? Uh, there is a slight difference in the rate, but that, that's an agreed upon amount, and I've signed a uh, you know contract with them. So they that. they're buying they are literally buying electricity from you. Uh, I, that means that I am a, then a producer. I am a generator. Mm-hmm. They don't want. Houses, or well, right now, it's not that they don't want them. Right now, the setup is that you don't want like an entire street becoming a generation facility, the local power plant, right? Essentially, o- although yeah. that could potentially happen in the future. Who knows? I mean, where it's going to go. But you, as a generator, didn't have to spend a nickel on infrastructure and distribution systems, right? So I could be generating, but then not actually paying for the lines that I'm generating and supplying it to other houses mm-hmm. on. So there's a there's an imbalance I there. Get, yeah, I, get, I hear what you say. So the, so there is a way of um, you know now too with the battery technology that's coming about, um, you can actually then start to store some. So you know obviously I can generate in the daytime, mm-hmm. but I'm not generating at nighttime. So mm-hmm. I can start to smooth out some of my own peaks at my house by having battery backup. And mm-hmm. we talked about the efficiencies of, of smoothing out those peaks and only yep. needing the equipment that. That's necessary Correct. for your maximum use. And then don't forget what's coming down the road, and I that is a pun. What's e- coming e- down the road? EVs. <laughs> so now when you're buying a home, does it have an EV station in it? I Can have, you actually plug in? I have had those questions asked of me. Um, for the most part, uh, retrofit questions. How much will it cost for me to get 220 out to that parking pad right. or that garage? And but certainly, the electric vehicle is a you know in 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 our neighborhood on the near east side of Madison, a garage with a door is like a C plus. Um, mm-hmm. Not a whole <laughs> lot. Now, Adam, your garage on the on the little bit further east side, that's uh-huh. like that it. You don't can't touch that over here. No, two, two right. cars. Two attached? cars is ridiculous. Oh. Yeah. and your is your your electrical box is is it in the garage? Yeah, uh, I bought it and they had run an extra box sub panel out there, sub panel out to the garage. So I Boom. could do you could do an electric car, right? A couple hundred, you're a couple hundred bucks away. Adam, at some point car. when you go to resell, uh-huh. you'll have to have one. <sighs> For real. Okay. You'll have to have a charging station in there because, I mean, don't forget, GM is going all electric within the next five years. So if that's Uh going to be the case, then there's not a lot of choice to... You know, you got to start to electrify for your car. I'll, can I, can I get that Tesla that's hovering around in space? You don't want a Tesla. <laughs> you you want you want you want something affordable. We're talking that's, about that's where about my mind goes. Real people, real here. people. Right. Right. Okay, yes. No, yeah. There are much more affordable electric vehicle options, not just golf carts that you're driving around your neighborhood. I mean, eventually, maybe the uh, EVs actually will be um, mobile uh, batteries. So you go to work, you plug it in, and then if there's a peak, they can actually draw off your battery. Oh. 
bit of a reserve. Look at that. I I did not even think about that. And then all the smart technology is going to weave all this together in some way, shape, or form. Your $75 thermostat is going to call up the car and say, I'm on my way home, warm it up. Yep, there you go. (laughs) We'll take a break for Phil's phone-in. Phil's phone-in is brought to you by Lindsay Lemmer for Madison City Council, District 3. She'll work to make it easier for Madisonians to rent, buy, and stay in their homes. Lindsay Lemmer for Alder. Lauren Kinnair, Treasurer. Hey Ben, it's Phil with a view from Beyond the 608. Just a quick one this month. I've been spending a lot of time lately thinking about how price is a fundamental. What does that mean? Most analysts and economists and journalists are always looking at data and fundamental information with the hopes that it's going to give them clues about future price direction in a given marketplace. The older I get and the more I see, I think that the opposite approach is probably smarter. That is to say, why not look at price and wonder, what is it telling us about the fundamentals? That's because in just about any marketplace, price knows first and knows fastest. Things are happening day to day before anybody really understands why. What does this mean for real estate investors? I'm not really sure, to be honest with you. But if you're looking at price deterioration or price acceleration and waiting for clues for why before acting, that might be a mistake. Sometimes just look at the price and say, it's telling me enough. If prices are moving higher, something good is going on. If prices are moving lower, something bad is going on. And worry about the why later. Just a thought from the trading desk. Anyway, Ben, that's all for now. Sometimes I'm sure Welcome back to Real Estate in the 608, an almost monthly podcast for Madison homeowners, landlords, and people who just want a better living in their house. You can find us at inthe608.com. So one more thing, right, Ben? One more thing. Sometimes uh, sometimes you watch Columbo, and the best question is the one he saves for last. He says, Jeff, it, he says it in a way, though. Jeff I'm Pulley. Trying, I'm trying to recall Columbo. It's been a long time. You're have, a, <laughs> Jeff Pulley. I, I, love, I, I could go on and on. There was a Johnny Cash. When Johnny Cash was the, was the murderer, that was a good one. Johnny Cash um, was on Columbo? I never yeah, knew that. Yeah, the guest appearances. That's every, every show had a different famous person was Holy the murderer. Cats. Jeff Pulley, plumber, yes. called you a liar. No, he didn't call you a liar. He didn't even know you were going to be on the show. Um, but here we are. He talked about at an atmospherically vented water heater, one that goes out the chimney, being as efficient as one that is power vented or exhausts out the side of your home. Can you tell us a little bit about why... I disagree his, with that. Why, why that story may or may not hold up. His, his argument was that uh, the, the, inef- the efficiency standards were measured in a, in a perfect environment where it was not cold outside, and, it was, and, and the, the water heater takes the same amount of BTUs to get that water to temp, and it has the same insulation around the tank. <clears throat> Why is it that the power vent, in your opinion, is far more efficient than the, than the one that goes up well, the chimney? Well, they do actually figure efficiencies in a perfect situation because they have to, because it's an apples and apples comparison. So, of course, they they have a standard for testing water heaters. And, yes, they're in a perfect environment. Um, the, the the Where I disagree with Jeff, and, and I'll back up a second, too. I, I don't mind if Jeff disagrees with me. Um, and, and Jeff <laughs> That's is... That's half the fun Je- of Jeff. Je- yes, Jeff is known <laughs> at our house as Jeff the Crazy Plumber. Um, that was labeled by my children. <laughs> <laughs> the the eldest named him Jeff the Crazy Plumber. Um, so, you know, when your uh, water heater is sitting there atmospheric, atmospheric means that it has a chimney basically going from the basement, if it's in the basement, all the way through the roof and outside. So two floors it could be or a single floor. Um, it is sitting there open 24-7. Like a hole, like a straw through Correct. your house. So physics tells me that hot goes to cold. And the colder it is outside, the quicker the hot wants to get there. So that chimney is uh, is operating as a vent to your home 24-7. Now, when you go to the power vent, that power vent only goes on when the water heater is actually generating. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's actually starting to want, calling for heat and wants to heat that hot water. Mm-hmm. So then it only goes on for that period of time and then shuts down. So then you're not having those losses of just 
air moving out through that chimney at any given time. So one of the biggest efficiencies is that you are in some ways plugging a hole in your house. Correct. And only opening it when it needs to be open. Correct. So the fact that the tank requires the same amount of BTUs to heat and the fact that the insulation on said tank is nearly identical. Correct. We're talking about putting your finger on a hole. Yes. We're shutting that hole when we don't need it open. And and, and you're correct now, The there's no not too many standby losses because we're not having pilot lights anymore on... Um, on water heaters, and maybe there's still some old ones sitting out there that are still operating. I've seen 30-, 40-year-old water heaters, surprisingly. But um, there, there's no longer pilot lights, so they've got ignitions on them now. So they'll ignite instead of just sitting there constantly burning. So you don't want to have a pilot light constantly burning, which tends to be oh, the yeah. those atmospheric style where had a pilot light on them, and they were just sitting there burning constantly. It's mm-hmm. a, so, And albeit small, but a constant flame. Yep. Not worthy of a Kennedy, but enough to to light the burner when the unit calls for heat. Right. So when on the on the uh, power vented, it has an ignition because obviously it can't be just sitting there on standby constantly. But they, but they also require power. They do. Whereas an atmospherically vented water heater, yes. Uh, if your home had that originally, there may not be an outlet nearby. Correct. That's probably. And I'm thinking that that Jeff's uh, telling us that that is more efficient. Uh, or at least more cost-effective, probably takes into account a lot of those um, cost of operation, mm-hmm. as well as, you know, if we're going to go up to a power vent, we're going to add an outlet. That's going to be a call to the electrician. Um, the unit itself, you talked about the newer furnaces having a lot more technology and uh, and sometimes safety checks mm-hmm. involved. Those are often the things that he... Uh, claimed uh, fail first and foremost, adding um, adding to the cost of operation of a unit over its lights. So there's probably an argument. It just you have to decide which hat you're going to wear right. or where you're going to fly your flag. Mm-hmm. And, and you know what? You also need to look at the warranties on what you're purchasing. Um, some manufacturers will actually have a warranty that will cover some of those extra bells and whistles that you get for that higher efficiency. It has been a very informative time. Let's talk a little. Let's just run me through what where are people going to uh, best be able to to get some of the information we've talked out today, especially some of those uh, easy low fruit incentives. So the best place to go is to focusonenergy.com, and then there'll be three tabs at the top of the page, and you can just select residential unless you happen to be a business owner, and then you might want to look at the business side of things and see what's available there. Um, otherwise you're going to go to residential and then, uh, on that residential side, you slide down the page a little, you're going to have options there for the simple energy efficiency boxes, smart thermostats, home performance with energy star, or I think it's actually labeled uh, energy assessment, which is where you start with the process of getting the house, um, tested and find out where your baseline is. We have uh, had Steve Pipson in from Focus on Energy as our in-studio guest. Steve, thank you so much today. You're we, welcome. we have been silly about some energy efficiency. We've been serious about some stuff, but I think everybody agrees. You know, there is benefit on both sides. There's Absolutely. benefits for you in recouping costs. There's benefits for all of us in general. And we, we didn't even touch on comfort. <laughs> but going back to Ellie's, which is for sale right now. Oh, Ellie's yeah, Family yeah. Restaurant. Right. Do, do they have any Naga hide? Naga hide <laughs> is, is the hide the naga uh, animal of the naga a what? a not uh, i suppose it's fictional it's it, but it's not really supposed to be fictional um it's a synthetic from naga naga tuck no. got um, me on that one but it, it's it's a material it's a man-made material naga okay. is a man-made le- uh, a pleather oh pleather i've heard of pleather naga is, is pleather oh, but yeah. the story behind naga hide is that they designed a small animal um <laughs> called the naga as to suggest it was the animal oh, from which the God. Naga hide... To, to justify that you've okay. got to take it off of some animal. From which the Naga hide <laughs> was, was harvested. Okay, I challenge you guys. Yeah. Where, and this is in the 608, where was the last factory that made Naga hide? And it actually might still oh. be operational. And right. to, my, to my knowledge, the last factory, and it may still be operational, is in Stoughton, Wisconsin. Oh, Stoughton, Wisconsin. Sure. Making Naga hide. 
Home of the coffee break. Well, you know, they had to make it for the bars in Wisconsin. <laughs> when what bar doesn't have Pabst and Naugahyde? <laughs> the beautiful teal Naugahyde of the family restaurant. I think the old Poles, restri- uh, Poles bar on State Street had Naugahyde oh, in there forever. They? And then they did a remodeling. Gone. We're going to post a link to the <laughs> uh, fictitious animal, the Naga, yes. as well in the show notes. But yes, Naugatuck, Connecticut. Related to the jackalope, right? They are, I believe. The, and the Yeti the, and the big foot. So and, I guess uh, my point was, if Ellie's has got Naga hide, they're going to get a higher price. They should oh, be They should well, be demanding that higher price. Naturally, that would rack up the cost there. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Steve. For joining us and, uh, and 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 shedding some light again, we are we're here to educate ourselves. We invite people like you, uh, people smarter than us, uh, to talk about things relating to uh, real estate in the six hundred eight. Thank you so much, Steve. You're welcome. listening to real estate in the 608 madison's real estate magazine for your ears real estate in the 608 on instagram is where you can find us if you're down with the social media apps ben what was that well we asked people to join us as we surround ourselves with people smarter than we are and today was steve pipson with focus on energy i think we found one of those people we certainly did i would say (laughs) our our most credentialed guest Mm -hmm. Uh, they weren't Mm -hmm. necessarily they weren't really acronyms but i joked about the number of acronyms after his name (laughs) someone who has been a, a home inspector a carpenter uh, teaches a class. We didn't even talk about the fact that he teaches a class at MHTC. Sure. Uh, called Homeowner 101. A very wise man. I got to say, of all the things that we talked about, and I liked a lot of the things, uh, the fact that we pointed out that insulation is probably one of the places you should start when you're thinking about energy efficiency, because that's not where I would have. That's not where mine went. My mind went. Well, that, and again, we didn't spend much time talking about the. And he, he corrected or he added later that air sealing. Is is as important as insulating. Oh yeah, I mean, like I should have just I should just invite him over to see my old patio door because I know that air is just flowing through the thing, and have him give me a recommendation. Man. Well, uh, we talked about that too. The invitation though should be to one of those uh, one of those uh, trade partners with Focus on Energy, someone who, as a consultant, can come out and give your home that energy audit. Yep. that will yeah. qualify you for the for the uh, rebates and assistance of the of the focus on energy program yeah and that's one of the things i like it's like when you hear about like you got to set these things up and there's an upfront fee to pay and i think this applied to you know some of the things we talked about the long-term benefits of doing these things does like legitimately pay off it's it's not it's not a hustle talked about the fact that you're going to start to see those benefits immediately yeah we're also going to be comfortable. And I, I don't, I'm not sure if it confirmed or denied my father growing up as a kid. Turn the damn lights off and save some energy. Do you think I'm made of money? <laughs> That's right. Uh, well, also, like, we talk about uh, uh, Blatt's. Doesn't Blatt's have the bear? Wasn't it the black no, bear? Hams. Hams had the bear. Oh, for goodness oh, sakes. Damn. We should there should be a whole nother <laughs> podcast on, on, on beer. old beer brands. <laughs> um, we talked about the beer that made Milwaukee famous yes. and the beer established in 1851 and the beer that uh, turned into a condo project at Blair and Wilson. <laughs> I think we should go have a drink after this one. I'm going to need one. <laughs> so we talk about how this is uh, Real Estate in the 608, Madison's Real Estate Magazine for your ears, but the reverse is also true with the your newsletter. The reverse is a monthly newsletter. We'll call it a podcast for your podcast. eyes. Yeah, I like it's good. Delivered to your inbox on the 22nd of each month is benanton.com's uh, 22nd, 22nd read. Mm-hmm. An email delivered on the 22nd and taking and written in easy to digest segments taking no longer than 20 seconds to read. How would I sign up for that? You would sign up for that by visiting in the 608 on Facebook and clicking the sign up button or over at benanton.com as well. We should say thank you to our guest in studio, Steve Pipson. He was uh, fantastic today with Focus on Energy. A reminder, his website is focusonenergy.com. And we should also thank uh, some of the musicians that you've been hearing. Again, featuring some of our favorite In the 608 musicians, we heard first from Seesaw, a little bit from Renclaw, 
Bob Westfall and the Mad City Jug Band. And the lovely thing about In the 608 is that those are all local bands. Local bands right mm-hmm. here. Going to see them at the hardware store. All right. Is that where you're going to be? If we say we're going to see you somewhere, where are you going to be? I'm going to see you at the Harmony. The Harmony? Okay, not a bad place. Uh, I think I will see you at the polls as the general election is coming up. On, as it uh, comes, coming a- up. April 2nd. Don't forget to vote. I folks. know who you're voting for. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's pretty transparent at this point. Uh, my name is Adam Elliott. And I'm Ben Anton. And this has been Real Estate in the 608. Come on, baby, won't you hold me tighter than your fist curled up in a schoolyard fight? I'll be a backup when you're calling my name. Come on, baby, won't you keep me safer than that high score on that pinball game? You're always playing at your favorite arcade. And we could be taking names. And we could be Come on, baby, won't you buy me flowers with that money spent on whiskey sours that you're buying at those wasted hours? And come on, baby, won't you talk me sweet? Instead, I'm staring at this empty seat because you got someone else you'd rather me And we could be. So I'm singing you this waiting song.